the combination of let's say suffering and what is uh, in in alliance with with suffering on dependent origination and not and it was pretty an amazing read till I came to the digital pages that are not really readable anymore. So, mm -hmm. yes, that's one of the things about uh, the teaching of dependent origination or um, Paticca Samuppada. Parts of it were actually before the teaching of the Buddha. We can also see that Paticca Samuppada was in early forms different than the later forms. It seems like that over the time, the life of the Buddha uh, uh, or the life of the Buddha's teachings, that we can tell which literature is older, that the Udana and the Suttanapada seem to be the oldest. And there's a whole lot of evidence as to why that's true. Uh, I'm not a scholar, but the scholars say this and it sounds right to me, okay. Uh, and one of the points uh, is, is that uh, big, fancy, important suttas like the Mahaparinibbana Sutta, which is in number 16 in the Ding and the Kaya, which is the whole story about the Buddha's death, getting sick and walking around and who came and the funeral and all of that kind of stuff. Much of that is sparsely uh, thinned uh, out, but found in the Udana. So whoever wrote the uh, the Mahaparinibbana Sutta, they just did it out of research because the stuff was already there in various forms and, and places. And you can see that also that various teachings, um, like one particular teaching, you'll see it in five, six, seven, eight places. And the Paticca Samuppada teaching is so important to the teachings of the Buddha. And in fact, it is the exposition of the second noble truth. Is, is that you can find it in the Udana. You can, but it doesn't have 12 steps there. It's got like six. But you can tell <laughs> that this is Paticca Samuppada. You can also see in certain suttas that it is done informally in the sense that they're only talking about the important parts. That in fact, I've given entire talks on Paticca Samuppada and not talked about all the various parts of it. Just take and, and focus on one little thing or two little things. And in fact, that's what we'll do later in this talk today. Um, and then you'll find uh, suttas that get very, very formal with it. The Ding and the Kaya number 15 is where the, uh, the Buddha tells Ananda that it's profound and subtle, which is just another way of saying, Ananda, you've been with me for 25 years and you still don't get the point. <laughs> uh, and then there's a, a very heavy uh, one the, uh, in the Majjhima Nikaya number nine. Uh, the name of it is actually Right View, uh, Samaditi. And that's the one that seems to be the most complex and the most detailed. And the surprise about it is, is that it only goes through the, uh, the teaching of Paticca Samapada one time, and it goes backwards. Mm -hmm. And it also starts with other things that give kind of documentation. In fact, uh, Robert and I have kind of a, a schedule where we're going to do the... Um, Sutta number nine in the Majjhima Nikaya. And then, another, mm -hmm. and then another one is Sutta number 38 in the Majjhima Nikaya, which is the Maha uh, Tangha Vibhanga uh, Sutta. And in there, it does Paticca Samuppada six times, three times forward and three times back, but it's all done in kind of a coded language almost as if um, that knowing this doesn't mean that you understand what it is, but it's done up and down and up and down. And the idea is, is that we teach it in forward order because that's the sequence of events. You start with A, you do B, you do C, you do D, and you get down <laughs> to the end of it. <clears throat> However, it's to be practiced backwards. 
And why is that? Is because the mind is slow in the beginning. It happens. And so a long series of things happens before we wake up to it. And then when we get practice, a long series of stuff, but not so much, and then we catch on it again. <laughs> As we get uh, pretty good at it, then um, there is uh, uh, an understanding of it because the student can actually experience each one of these things, and they're not magical, they're not mystical, it's just simply the way that the mind works. It's just a different translation, it's not magical. Right, it's not magic, but the magic stuff, in fact, the, the worst part of the magical stuff you can find in the Vasudhi Maga, where there <laughs> they talk about it uh, taking three lifetimes. Well, that's actually correct, except that it's misleading. The three lifetimes is not know. three physical bodies with a deep, deep past, a long, lifelong uh, present. And then a deep, dark future, which is the way that we normally think of as three lifetimes. But the reality is the three lifetimes is the immediate past. This immediate breathing moment of the present and the immediate future. And we're talking about a few seconds. Do you, present and future stuff happens. Do you have any idea why, why in Buddhism or... The way Buddhism presents itself to the world, to the world, whatever the world is, um, in in a way that is with without this little key element of make de demagicalizing it, because the problem is really see this with the with the manuscript of Mein Kampf from Adolf Hitler. Mm -hmm. They they lost the 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 license a couple of years ago. Uh, uh, Bavaria they had the they had the the copyrights, and uh -huh. now it's free to to do whatever you like with it. And uh, they were smart enough to make uh, commentary pages, so you can even if you are a little on the very very slow end of thinking. You're able to understand that all this is to be understood in a certain framework. <clears throat> all right. Well, there is a whole lot of truth in Mein Kampf from Hitler. He made a world-shattering sure. discovery in that book. Actually, he didn't just didn't make a world-shattering discovery. He actually figured out how the world is shattered. <laughs> and that is, is that if you tell a lie often enough, people will begin to believe it, even when in the beginning they know it's a lie. But if you keep lie going, even you will begin to believe it. Even if you absolutely, even if you try not to get manipulated by this, this is this exactly is so, so interesting. Uh -huh. <clears throat> and that gives rise to entire traditions like propaganda, news, journalism is all based upon this. And so you could think of it then uh, in a Dhamma sense that even if you don't believe that you can be happy, keep talking yourself into it and it will happen anyway. Even after you become happy, you still don't believe that it can happen. <laughs> And that's the power of um, repetition. Framing and priming. Mm -hmm. Over mm -hmm. and over and over again. So be careful of what you listen to and then go after it over and over and over again. Uh, uh, this is actually part of the issue of the, of the chanting, is that it gets the mind into a very, very narrow place, a very healthy, wholesome, narrow place. Yes, Robert, go right ahead. Um, yeah, comment on that. It's funny because, you know, I've been friends with Don Murado long enough to predict what he's going to say on a number of things. But I still go to the <laughs> weekly <laughs> calls every single week because I know how important the repetition is. And also, it's just nice to see everyone. It's good friendship. But but the repetition is very important. So, you know, I'll listen to his talks, etc., even though I know what he's going to say. 
because I want to <laughs> keep paving those pathways, you know. <laughs> Speaking about being nice to see you, I'm just going to drop out and drop back in, see if it fixes the video problems. I'll see you in a bit. Okay. Well, Robert, you actually almost gave something away. And that is, is that I, too, gained great benefit from doing this with you guys over and over and over again. I know that I'm doing it over and over again, but I get a kick out of it every time I do. <laughs> <laughs> and so getting back to the issue about Petita Samupada, Bhikkhu Buddhadasa has pointed out that there are several resting places. And what I mean by a resting place is, is that this should be kind of the immediate goal. And he talks about it in the sense that if the student can, uh, let us say an ordinary student, will catch things really, really late. In the sense of they'll get into an argument. And then the question is, when does the argument end? The question is, when the argument ends, has to do with if they're lucky, they'll wake up before it gets violent. Mm. But generally, that may not be the case. That in fact, if nobody wakes up, they're going to have to bury a body or two. They have so what? The what? They'll have to bury a body or two. Bury, they'll have to bury, bury both body. of the people in the argument because <laughs> they've killed each other. Because neither one of them or anybody else woke up to how dangerous this <laughs> argument was. But in our society, people do wake up. The question is when, and that is generally when they have seen the dukkha. The husband and wife are having an argument, and then the husband will slam the door on the way out, yelling something, right? What that means is, is he's recognized that this is not going anywhere other than this is a highway to hell, and we need to change. And this yeah, happens not... with, with everybody. Okay, it's, it's any not, argument not you've this, ever gotten huh? in, go ahead, sorry. It's, it's not only, it's not only uh, recognizing it, it's the quality in which way you recognize it. It has to right. be on a, it has to overcome a certain threshold. <clears throat> it has to overcome a threshold. This is the threshold of sati that we talk about. That it has to be enough sati to get you to change. In other words, you have to wake up enough to see the dukkha enough so that you can make a change, you have to actually see that this, what we're doing, is unwholesome. Okay? And then, because we can see that it's unwholesome, even though we take an unwholesome exit, that unwholesome exit is a whole lot better thing than to stay and get it even more unwholesome down to being violent. So, uh, this is where we ordinary uh, people do it. And that gives us a hint as to how to start doing it more correctly. That the actual place that we can gain the most benefit from it is at the point of contact. Now, uh, in English, we would use the word trigger. Um, yesterday, I talked to Tim, and he had read a book that is talking about it in the psychology using that, uh, this style, that a trigger will trigger our behavior, and then we have to put up with the results of that behavior. The trigger, the behavior, and then the results of the behavior. That's got a problem. It's missing an ingredient. What is the missing ingredient? The trigger gives us feelings that are strong enough to cause an action, a behavior, that then has a result. And we can actually put this thing right onto and map it right onto Petitia Samupada. Because this is exactly what happens. That in fact, you could say that the triggering that gives rise to the feelings, when we give the feelings, we, uh, we like something, then we want it. This is the Vedana to the uh, Tanha. And then from Tanha to Upadana, that's getting ready for the behavior. The actual behavior comes from the actual grasping and clinging itself. We do a behavior that does that, 
And that behavior then defines us in one of the woeful states. That the, the woeful state is the demonstration of the behavior. And then the result of that behavior is going to be dukkha. We don't like what happened with the behavior. Okay, so uh, the example is, is that when two people are in an argument, when somebody finally recognizes that the result of my last behavior is not suitable for the state of mind that I want to be in, therefore let us stop it. Okay, so that's the important point that we can say is within the teaching of, of uh, Paticca Samuppada means that when we see something, we're going to make a change. We're going to stop what we were doing in the old thing and do something new. So if we are triggered by something, and then that triggering gives rise to a feeling, and then that feeling gives rise to uh, a behavior, then we can see that behavior before we do too much of it. We can stop it along the way. Yes, Veda? <clears throat> What would you say? I mean, I don't know if it's really an intangible question or not, but... <clears throat> What what would would help probably myself to to be a little bit more inclined to change the attitude to change the intention when certain circumstances have uh, yeah uh, already been in in this kind of very narrow clinging uh, consciousness is there is always this part in my in my awareness that is clearly observant of what is happening and is clearly saying like, no, 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 no. And <clears throat> I have the impression throughout my life that many people, I don't know if this is just where I grew up or is this a universal thing, uh, they are completely unaware of this. Is this is this just an is this just a is this just a concept or is there some truth to that? Well, I would say that anybody can see it if it's pointed out to them. I'll give you several examples. <clears throat> father and son are out hunting in the woods, and the father sees the rabbit way off yonder. And the kid can't see the rabbit. There's a rabbit out there. And the boy doesn't see it. But if he points it out directly so that the child can look down the index finger and see where he'll see the rabbit. And after that, then he knows the rabbit because he can see it. The native, okay. uh, the native Indians, uh, the Native Americans <laughs> that couldn't, uh, couldn't see the ships because they are not familiar what a ship is. Precisely so. Mm. Um, Uh, an example of that, <clears throat> by the way, is, is that <clears throat> during World War II, they were coming up with a, one new air, attack aircraft after another, after another, after another, to the point that your average Joe Blow, he would look up and he'd see an airplane, but he didn't know whether to report it or not. But if they give them a piece of paper that shows these are the these are the aircraft that look this way, if you see one of these, please tell us. And so now he's got a guide, and now he looks up and he can make a discernment. If he had never had that piece of paper, an airplane is an airplane up in the sky to him. Now nowadays airplanes are flying so high we generally can't see them. But discernment. Uh, in the old in the old days in World War Two during. Uh, Europe was full of airplanes and nobody knew what they were until they started identifying them. So this is the whole point that we're making is, is that the stuff that we're talking about, this human behavior that is seen uh, by the Buddha in Paticca Samuppada, no one saw that stuff before. But once he saw it, he could tell other people they could look for it and they could see it too. The problem is, is that a lot of stuff that needs to be taught to kids in school is not taught to kids in school because the teachers don't know it themselves. Hello, oh. Martha. Hello. I've, I've, um, <laughs> this is a problem I've um, wrestled with recently in um, 
we're dealing with future tense example for an example as an example and having to ask the kids what would you like to do in the future um you know which is quite an ordinary question to ask these kids are happier the than most uh, these kids are most ha happy happier than most adults in the present moment um but now i have to tell them hey your life's not good enough you have to want for something <laughs> in the future <laughs> yeah what do you want now when you grow up it's yeah. teaching the child greed mm. other things like that like what's your favorite color what's your favorite food these actually teach children greed <laughs> if you could tell them oh uh, green's a nice color but red is too you don't have to have a favorite but kids are actually told that they've got to have a favorite yes robert I, I think maybe one ninja move you could teach them is to have a pretend favorite. You know, uh, yeah, yeah. tell them you can have a favorite so you can fit in with the other kids. And but that's not but don't actually attach to that favorite at all. It's a brilliant idea. Yeah. So um, psychology is coming around. As I was mentioning Tim's uh, point about the trigger the behavior and the result of the behavior is missing a couple of points. Actually, it's missing several. That, that, uh, but all of these things that he talked about are actually on the Petitra Samapada. And the number one that's missed is the feelings of what happens when the trigger happens. Go ahead, Veda. No, no, I have nothing to say. I'm uh, uh, just- Oh, your um, hand is up. Oh. Really? Your yellow hand. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you got a hand <laughs> in the air. I don't All know. All right. Okay. Just did it by so let's 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 start talking about the triggers. What triggers our behavior? All right. In Petitra Samupada, the triggering itself is referred to as the Pali word is pasta or contact. In other words, something push you, a trigger, okay? Now, you know that a way that a gun is built uh, with bullets and all of that kind of stuff, that a huge amount of explosive force can come out of the end of the barrel because of a little bit of energy that was put to pull the trigger. That this is an actually amazing point. Uh, let us talk about that if a child wants to kill another child and all he's got is his bare hands, he's going to have a whole lot of trouble doing that. I mean, you've seen kids with no skills fight each other and about the best they can do is make each other say uncle. But if the child has a knife, he can do a whole lot more damage and doesn't have to work nearly as hard. And then you give the child a gun and he can do a whole lot of damage with just a little bit of hate and just a little bit of energy to pull that trigger. This is an important point for us to recognize that these tools that we have, uh, like a gun that has a little bit of energy, that trigger that shoots a bullet that has a huge amount of energy, is not the, actually the right way to look. In our system here, we have to say that that trigger actually is hard to pull. Something's actually got to pull that trigger because if it were really, really easy to pull, and for some people it is, then they're, they're never going to be going off very, very often. Most of us don't go off so often because our triggers are not so easy to pull. So the question is, what is it that pulls the trigger? The answer to that is uh, backing up a step in Petitra Samupada. And that uh, backing up is to the step of uh, Saliatana. Now, the Saliatana is our understanding of the situation. Now, the situation can be external or it can be internal. Generally, it's a combination of both. And so uh, the Salayatana is the result of 
uh, our understanding or the process of understanding, which we can call perception. So we see an object, then we try to figure out what it is. And then when we figure out what it is, that's the internal understanding or the image that we make, the salayatana, and that's what gives the trigger. That's what causes, um, uh, that's what touches. That's the fuse that gets lit, okay? This is the trigger, and in the Pali, it's called pasta or contact. Now, the trigger get, that gets pulled then sets off the fire that's called feelings. The feelings can actually be a big feeling because it was a big trigger, or it could be a tiny little feeling because it was a tiny little trigger. So we can think of this trigger as just an event that sets us off. Once we get set off, the feelings are there. And if those feelings are ignorant, then we will, then we will process those feelings ignorantly. But if we have wisdom at that point of contact, if we know that this is a trigger that's getting pulled, then we are able to do something about it, even though the trigger got pulled. That's the kind of backwards engineering. Yes, this is why we're going backwards. And this is why Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa says, wisdom at the point of contact. This is also the first jhana. This is that we, we know the trigger. We know what triggered us. And that way we can control the way that we feel. That we don't have to feel the way that the trigger forced us to feel, or we don't have to for very long. An example would be an adult <clears throat> sees two kids fighting. Normally, that triggers the adult, and he don't like the kids fighting. So what does he do? He goes up and fights with them. He yells at them. He fusses at them. He tells them, you shall not fight, okay? That's done ignorantly. All he's done is seen a war and joined it. Because he didn't like the war, he joined the war. So another way of doing it is that when we uh, are mindful at that point of contact, when we have wisdom at that point of contact, that we know what it was that triggered us. In other words, now the adult sees those two kids fighting and he doesn't like it but he knows that he doesn't like it. And so now he can find a way of handling that situation wisely. And one of the ways of handling it would be how with laughter and say, there you two kids go again. You're just having at each other. I hope you have fun. And that will help wake the kids up. In other words, he does not have to feel the way they felt because he was triggered into not liking the fact that they were fighting. This is a really, really interesting thing to do, is to start watching how you get triggered by things, what you don't like, and stay with the trigger for a moment. And don't go off into, I don't like it, therefore I've got to stop it. And My friend actually did this recently. Pardon? My friend actually did this recently. He's a um, good, good friend, time of friends. I work with him, and um, it's always nice to talk to. But he went to immigration, you know, and some guy was getting really frustrated at the um, the the girl at the desk, and there was a monk there, and um, my friend could tell the monk was getting like frustrated at watching this thing unfold. So my friend, he's um, he's you know spent a lot of time in um, you know amongst Tibetan Buddhists, uh, lamas and such. He walked up to the monk and just left, and uh, completely diffused all the tension. Yeah, quite a funny story. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yes, you'd be surprised at how much laughter and joy mixed with the situation will improve it greatly. <laughs> this is what actually I use the reference of lemonade. That, hey, man, you're going to get triggered by lemons a lot. But if you know what to do with a lemon, you're going to put some sugar in it and make some lemonade. <laughs> So, Veda, you got a hand up. Uh, 
this is exactly the 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 mm, this is exactly the the point or the situation mostly for me in my practice it's not the lack of seeing what happens it's more the lack of how do i deal with it in the mundane setting uh, because even even if you're even if we, you are with people who are doing nothing but uh, uh, examining those procedures and looking for resolutions even there there is still ignorance in certain communicate communication issues certain psychological uh, like johari window things you don't see uh, uh, things right or those those kind of issues in what do i do when i see it what do I do in a specific situation if someone if I would if I would laugh at someone in a situation like this in Germany, I would get hit. Well, <laughs> it depends upon it depends upon whether they person feels like that they're being laughed at. Right, right. And it's a put down or whether the situation is humorous and we're all caught in it. That's yes, something that, I not that, I don't decide. I don't decide how it lands on the soil. The soil decides what it does with the with the seed. So well, the important point though, here at this point of contact, the trigger that gives rise to a feeling, if that is done wisely, the wisdom is saying that we have a choice over how we're going to feel. That I can make an adjustment right there at that point of potential summer part, or maybe take the next cycle and choose how I'm going to feel. But I don't have to feel triggered. I don't have to feel the habit that I normally feel when that event happens. So when that trigger happens and I don't like those two people fighting, I can reflect upon, oh, look, I don't feel the way that I want to feel, let me feel the way that I want to feel with this. And if I could feel the way that I want to, then maybe that will rub off. No guarantees, as you said. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I would say it's even worse than Russia. So is there any, is there any source of, uh, let's say, applicable psychology in, in that way in, in Buddhist scriptures or in, in Buddhist sources somewhere? Uh, I would say the way that I'm speaking it, perhaps not so often, but mm. the whole point that I'm making is the entire teaching of the Buddha, Dukkha, Dukkha, Naroda. If you can see the Dukkha that you're in right now, then you can change it, no matter how far along the path is. That in fact, one of the points about the Vatitya Samuppada the teaching, even though that it starts with ignorance and ends in dukkha and is an, uh, a, a detailed exposition of the second noble truth where the feelings are right in the middle, even though that's true, it's not solid in the sense that there is dukkha, a little bit of dukkha all along the way, and there is certainly ignorance all along the way. That in fact, when the feelings are, uh, when the trigger happens, if we know we're triggered, if we know what happens, then we have some choice over the feelings that we have. But if we're ignorant to the trigger, that's what I see in experience. That's what I see in experience. There is still this this duality coming up uh, in form of a question, which is regarding, let's say. Let's say someone wants to argue with me. I'm sensing even from 10 meters, okay, this person is going to going to attack me right now. I can deal with this, it's no problem. The, the, the more interesting part for me in this is what can I actually do? What, how, can I, how can I use this fuel? Let's say uh, uh, maybe, maybe this analogy is wrong. Maybe it's no fuel. Okay. I, I would say this, that the first thing, once we've gone through the steps that we've talked about in the sense that you were triggered, you got triggered, you know that you got triggered, and you have a choice about how you feel, now everything is a choice. 
And the next choice that we have to make is how are we going to respond? What behavior are we going to uh, uh, implement in this situation of where people are being triggered? I would say part of that has to do with how familiar you are with the person. That it's much easier to tease a friend than it is a stranger. Mm. That if it's a person that you don't know and you don't know how he's going to behave, the better thing to do is to stop all of our behavior. Just don't do anything. Mm -hmm. Divert your eyes. Look at something else. Walk away. Do something other than this engagement, that we stop that engagement. That's possibly the easiest thing to do. May not be possible, <laughs> but if it is possible, that's the way to handle it. It's just People to... chasing me. People chasing me. You have no idea. I have, I have situations where people actually follow me to, to get their way with me, <laughs> like okay. regularly. Then, all right, then let them have their way with you because yeah. you are yeah. the strong one here. That's a very interesting point also. And that is, is that you have to maintain your, uh, through your practice of Anapanasati that you have the right attitude, mm -hmm. even if he doesn't. Mm -hmm. And the attitude that you have is, is that you're the winner here and his attitude is up to him. Mm -hmm. Right? That you're the winner. And if you're the winner mentally, then you can give the dog a bone. Mm -hmm. You can agree with him. How do you I can do say that? you're right and I was wrong. Mm -hmm. Thank you for pointing that out. Mm -hmm. And you could do that with a smile. You'll get him to change his mind because he's won. Ah, uh, okay. I remember now. This is this is the whole issue. When I was in when I was in, how do you say, like, do you understand the word kindergarten? Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, there, let's say, let's say the person who was supposed to look after the kids uh, through uh, overnight somewhere uh, wasn't doing her job and left us kids with a minor like 12 or 13 and then some things went down the line that were not so pleasant i still have this all over my nervous system right now um uh, gladdening 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 so well this, this, this is the thing which is very okay so you're talking about perhaps a childhood Trauma. Trauma. Were traumatized by a bunch mm. of children, including that there was no adult around. And so to, uh, children are pretty brutal with each other. After all, we are all savages. We are all born barbarians and have to be enculturated. And mm. that enculturation is the big problem. We would all be better off if we were left barbarians. <laughs> the first First, you were barbarianized as a child, and that was a trauma, and you didn't come out of it as, as a fully adult. Um, and so now we have to do that. The first thing to recognize is, is that you are not a child anymore. You have choices now that you did not have then. And you do not have to work it out now about how you would handle that situation back then because that situation is not going to happen again. You're going to have to handle new situations from now on. We can't plan. I mean, you've heard about it. And in fact, Putin is doing this big time. And that is, is that he is planning to fight last century's war. He's not ready to fight this century's war. We fight last century's war. So. That's what we do in our mind is, is that when we have childhood traumas, we go around uh, uh, bucking up to get ready to rehandle that childhood trauma. And it never happens. We've got new traumas now. Yeah. So I'm practicing on the entrance point and implementing as much as uh, much wisdom in this verbally or in the picture or in a feeling or something to provoke the change. <clears throat> right. So. Let us make sure then that we understand from this particular talk 
that it is knowledge or wisdom or waking up and investigation at that point in time when we are being triggered. That we recognize those triggers. We recognize that we've been contacted. And that not only that, but normally what happens when that trigger is pulled, we're already having bad feelings. But we at least now, in retrospect, know that we were triggered and that we've got the bad feelings and we can modify them right here on the spot. That we don't have to go down that ignorant path of triggered into bad feelings, into hate, into violence and warfare or whatever down that path we go. That we could stop it and say, I have a choice over how I'm going to feel. And if I have a choice over the way that I feel, then I have a choice over the way I can behave also. But that's the really important point is can we stop our behavior long enough to evaluate the situation and make a change and then we behave? Robert, go ahead. Hi, everybody. I'm low battery, so I got my video off. Um, I've noticed uh, trauma is a recurring topic in the Sangha, and I think it's very topical for a lot of people. And I'm curious, Damarado, if the Buddha ever talked about in the Pali uh, something that, you know, approximated trauma or something similar to it. Um, is there some kind of Pali analog? And if so, did the Buddha have anything to say about it? I would go so far as to say that we can correctly translate the word um, Sankara as trauma. Mm -hmm. That you can actually mm. translate it and, and get good understanding of Patita Samapada when we understand that by ignorance as a child, we were traumatized. And so in this moment, when a new event happens, we uh, go back to that trauma and re-traumatize ourselves in the present moment based upon what happened back then. So, the trauma is the pile of crap that we're carrying around. The question is, uh, in English language, what level does it have to arise to, to where it's actually caused, called trauma? Because the word trauma normally means something really, really big and huge. But we have little traumas on quite frequently, and those little traumas get piled up too. And so in that regard, we could say almost, you could then say that Sankara translated into trauma is actually a very good translation. It is our pile of crap. It's our pile of traumas, little traumas, big traumas, uh, failures, um, things that didn't work out, injuries that we won't get healed, all of that kind of stuff is what uh, Sankara means. It's the pile of crap that we carry around. And we can actually translate that then into trauma. And so we were traumatized then. And so that trauma gets mixed into our results. The example that I give sometimes is imagine the two guys are standing on the street corner here and they see somebody down coming down the street. And each one of them has a different reaction to the person that they see based upon their childhood traumas. And so let us say that at one example is that it's a nun in a nun's habit. Or let's not say that. Let's say the person is in a nun's habit, not necessarily a nun. It's a person in the nun's habit. Well, one of these guys is getting ready to go into seminary, and he's all gaga when he sees a real nun walking down the street. The other kid that sees this uh, nun's habit was in Catholic school as a child, and he got his hand beaten over and over and over again. So naturally, when these two guys see this person in the nun's habit, they're going to have different results. One of them may go up to her and bow and say, hello, I'm so happy to meet you. And the other one will go up and slugger. <laughs> so this is the whole point that we carry. These Sankaras can be referred to as the traumas and that we relive these traumas ignorantly. 
because we bring them into the present and then we filter the present moment with these traumas. And when we are aware that we're doing that, we have some control over it. And when we're not aware that we're doing that, we're screwed. <laughs> we are in that trauma again. And so this is why Bhikkhu Buddhadatta talks about that particular point in Paticca Samapada is so important. Now, later in your practice, you'll find that it's not even the important point, but this is the starting point. Wisdom at the point of contact. Recognize when you're triggered that you recognize that you're triggered. This is the whole point. Then you can have a choice over how you're going to feel about it. If you think that you have choices over how you feel, because that can be part of the trauma too, that people don't even know that they have a choice over the way that they feel. And in fact, in our society, we're not talk about uh, that. That when, when we were taught, we're not taught correctly in the sense that when we are taught, it's like, well, buck up. Stop crying. There's no reason for you to cry, kid. And we just traumatize the child again while she's crying rather than comfort her and nourish her and tell her everything is okay. There's no problems. There's no worries. You don't have to cry. I'm not going to hit you. But if you tell the kid, hey, if you don't shut up, I'm going to beat the tar out of you. Now, is that going to help the kids stop crying? No, it's going to traumatize them even more. Well, we do that to ourselves. We do that on the inside. We tell ourselves, you should not be traumatized. You should not. But we do it in a traumatizing way. We have to recognize that we've got a new choice. And the new choice is that we could choose how we're going to feel. We can feel nurturing or we can feel like we need a little more trauma. Can you point out the mechanism behind it, the psychological mechanism in what it's called in Western psychology? Do you know that uh, on the top of your head? I, all I know is, is that they use words like, like triggers and anchors and that we can use triggers and anchors to our advantage when we're doing it wisely or we can use triggers and um, anchors to our disadvantage ignorantly. Trauma cycles, trauma cycles, something like this. I just know okay. it from the from the Hutu and the and the, this this whole conflict there when they slaughtered each other. <clears throat> so how do we practice then our wisdom at the point of contact? How do we practice that? The answer is, is that we begin to in a quiet place start looking at the thoughts and the feelings that we have, recognizing that we can change those thoughts. And by changing the thoughts, we can change our feelings. So if you're sitting at the bus station and you're bored and you're saying, oh, I wish the bus would come. I wish the bus would come. I don't like it because the bus isn't here. And who's got the problem? Does it have a flat? We can have those kind of thoughts. And then we could wake up to it and say, hey, I'm going to be happy even if the bus doesn't come. But I can look around the room and I can see all these other bored, unhappy people. And I don't have to be bored and unhappy like they are, that this is actually just a mutual pity party. Everybody's waiting on the bus and nobody likes the fact that they've got to wait. And here we are, we can change our attitude. We can change our response. In fact, we can talk to the person next to us. We can say, wow, that bus is really slow. Don't you just love it when the bus is slow? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Carl. I noticed one thing is that when, when you try to control like a lot of your environment, you waste so much energy and then you get really, really tired and it's really hard to maintain that mindfulness. So. The, the control thing is what usually gets, at least to me, is like trying to control every little variable. And as soon as you release mm -hmm. that control, you have so much more energy to enjoy your whole surroundings and everything else. It's just, ah, whatever. Right. That's a very important point that we can say that when we can recognize that all of that controlling that we're trying to do is because of the ignorant triggers that have happened. And we're into the feelings of wanting to control things. Once we recognize that we want to control things, we can say, stop. 
let me have fun watching things out of control. I don't have to control them. That I can change the way that I feel about it. And that we do this in two different ways on two different occasions. One is when we're in, in silence, when we're in seclusion, and we can watch the detailed workings of the mind so that we can then, uh, with this practice, actually do that when the real triggers come. When the gorillas happen by, when the circumstances you feel need to be controlled, that's when we need the mindfulness the most. That's when we need to take the opportunity to stop, to stop what we're doing and reassess how we feel so that we can feel the way that we want to feel. Because if you can feel the way that you want to feel, then you're in control of the situation. Is only when we are out of control with our feelings that we're also out of control of the situation. Yeah, Veda, go ahead. Is there anything checklist-like in the mundane way to reassess those things? Because I see if certain circumstances don't change over a very long period of time, the quality of the of the um, gladdening the mind of the whole process of meditation in 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 walking meditation in using it in when sankaras come up etc it's the quality gets a little bit more gross to keep things together like, right i would answer it like this and that is, is that we don't have to worry about the future We don't care really, and we don't really have any control, especially right now, about the future, that we can only control the future when it's the present moment. It's no longer the future, when it becomes the present. And we can't control everything in the present moment, but we can control what we're thinking and how we feel. So the repeated what, wisdom, the repeated uh, action of making this wisdom available for the mind. Right. And so a habit will build up. In other words, if you can do it one time after another, after another, after another, then the likelihood of next time you can do it again. This is why we want to practice the practice, the repetition, the doing it over and over and over again of wisdom at the point of contact, recognize that you don't like it and change the way that you feel and say, well, this is quite a show that's going on here. I don't have to feel bad because I don't like the show. We don't know what's happening in Act Two. We only know what's happening in Act One, what's happening right now. Let's enjoy the opening. Taking Robert's uh, uh, statement for myself now, it's so interesting to see how in the, in, in the mind itself, if I'm attending those calls, And over and over again, using the Eightfold Noble Path, I mean, this is what I understand you were talking about right now, mm -hmm. uh, how many different anchors you can, you can create uh, through, through yes. this repetition, right? Yes, you can create to new exactly anchors. The, to exactly the, the problem you have, exactly the hindrance you have in this particular thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And so by practicing, we build up um, anchors. We build up reminders that we can remind ourselves that, oh, all I have to do is take a deep breath. We can actually use the breath as an anchor. Everybody take a deep breath. <laughs> So we can use breathing as an anchor. I remember one time when I was in high school, the idea was is that I wanted to have a cross tattooed onto my hand because I thought that if I had that cross tattooed on my hand, that that would remind me to be a good boy. But it was pointed out to me that a whole lot of people have those crosses tattooed to their hands and they're not better boys. In fact, having a cross on your hand is almost a guarantee that you're not. <laughs> <laughs> and when I understood that, then I, did, I decided at that time that it was not a good idea to have a cross tattooed on my hand. It is not necessarily a good trigger. 
that we have to find good triggers or good anchors. And the breath is a really, really excellent one because we're doing it all the time. All we have to do is to wake up to that we're taking a breath. And so why not make it a really good one? Um, noise is also possibly a, a, an anchor that if you're out in the woods doing nothing, sitting by yourself, and then you hear a kaboom or something, then that's the time to wake up. Wake up, be alert, notice what's going on. <clears throat> because normally what will happen at that time is when we are uh, in that place and something goes boom, fear will come up because when we were traumatized by sounds when we were a little kid. And so some noise happens and we become traumatized. And so now we're adults and we hear some noise, recognize that that is a trigger, but we can use that trigger wisely in the sense of now it's time to wake up and investigate what's going on. Why was that noise there? As opposed to immediately jumping into fear, which is what we would do because of the uh, ignorantly that trigger triggered us into fear, wisely, mindfully, we can um, recognize now is the time to wake up. I need to be awake right now. Let's look at what's going on. And this can be done. Uh, this is the, the way that we want to treat it when we are around other people, that we can actually, Dhamma dudes should be able to go with the attitude that any place they go is a dangerous place because you have ordinary people with ordinary feelings who don't know uh, the triggers that they have. So we can easily make sure that we're not going to be triggering other people. We can figure out that if I've got these particular triggers, then I should not go around triggering other people by doing that kind of behavior. So uh, we don't trigger other people because we're mindful. And we also, because we're mindful of these triggers, we don't trigger ourselves. Or let us say that when we are triggered, it's a wise triggering. This is right in the middle of Paticca Samapada. This is the teaching that the Buddha has, uh, that Bhikkhu Buddha Dasas is so, talks about is so important. This is the really important point in the teaching of Patitya Samapada is this idea of wisdom at the point of contact. To recognize that the thoughts that I had that triggered me can be changed, that my attitude can change, that my feelings I can change if I can remember to do that. That's why we talk about wisdom at the point of contact means that just because I was triggered in a certain way doesn't mean that I have to follow those negative feelings and re-traumatize myself the way that I was traumatized in the past. That I can go for stopping that, reassessing it, put some sugar on this lemon. And then we can continue to operate, but now we've made a change. And so this is the teaching of the teacher Sanapada that if we do it ignorantly, we're going to wind up in this re-traumatizing ourselves because we're going to have to put up with the results of our bad behavior, which is the next trauma. So let's stop this traumatizing stuff and we do it by wisdom. We recognize, hey, I don't have to do that. I can stop. I can stop that behavior. That's the real teaching of Patitya Samapada in the beginning. Later, when we get good, we can recognize that we don't have to actually uh, do the traumatizing. That, in fact, if we have enough wholesome thoughts over and over and over and over again, then those are the, uh, the, going to be the elements that we use for processing so that we don't come up with these triggers of emotions, of bad feelings, because of really, really old traumas. Now we have... Uh, <clears throat> triggers that trigger us into happiness. Oh, I've seen that before. Oh, wow, look at that one. <laughs> mm -hmm. That we don't have to feel bad because we judge things as bad. That our judgments can change 
And so that's what we'll, that would be like second step. The next step is to actually unwire the perception so that we stay in sensory input, that we don't have to perceive everything. We don't have to make sense out of it. We can just enjoy the show. We do not have to figure out who done it in a murder mystery. We can just enjoy the show. <laughs> Yeah, you've got a, your hand up. I don't want to go completely Perry Mason on you right now, but uh, <laughs> one thing. Go right ahead. Uh, is, is there any, I mean, this is a question for all of you guys. Is there, is, is there anyone who has any source of, for like really ex exemplifying over and over again with, with, ordinary human interaction examples, how to deal in a socially accepted way with people from different cultures, different communication styles and so on. Because I'm, the, the problem is that the, the information is so scattered. This is so, I mean, and I'm probably not the only one who has problems with that because we are all human beings uh, born in a culture that is insufficient in social engineering. <clears throat> I, I don't have a complete answer to that, but I've got a pointer for you, mm. okay? Normally what happens in situations is that we find ourselves in a situation that we think needs to be dealt with. That's an important point right there, that we find ourselves in situations where we think that behavior of some kind is called for. That, too, is part of the trauma, that when we were children, we were actually required, the teacher would call on us, put us on the spot. We felt like we had to do something. The bully comes up, and he uh, bullies us, and we feel like that we've got to do something. Right. Guess what? As an adult, as a winner, we can recognize that I don't have to do anything. Let Not him scream the at my face. Let him traumatize me as best he can. And I don't do anything. I don't answer him other than perhaps a smile. I don't have to do anything. I can stop my behavior. We are not required to behave. But we think that we are because of old traumas. I'm definitely going to toy with this, with to play with this, to to play around with this, uh, and, mm -hmm. and uh, for my sati, like uh, uh, writing it down to to memorize it. Because really, guys, I am so autistic in this. Uh, it's, it's amazing. I'll give you a. I'll give you an anchor. I'll give you one word. Mm. Okay, this is a word that the Buddha used, and he used it on several suttas. And I won't go into the suttas, but I'll give you the word now. The word is stop. Mm. Saying it remember, like that. You do not have to behave. You can stop your behavior, even if you've already started behaving. Even if you're already half into an argument, you could just simply shut your mouth. It's not an that's, angry that's, stop. It's a confident stop. It's an... It's an yeah, it's a, you it's have a to physical, have mm -hmm. it's a physical That's, description. It's not an emotional description. Right. To stop our behavior. Don't do anything. <sighs> but the entire <sighs> teaching of teacher Samupati is stopping at various <clears throat> stages, going down that rat hole, that you can stop it at, uh, uh, at the point of a woeful animal by recognizing that you're just being stupid doing what you were told to do. And then you can wake up to that. You can stop any part that when you recognize that you really want something, you can stop wanting it. When you recognize that you don't like something, you can stop not liking it. When you're feeling triggered, you can stop feeling triggered. When you're inventing stuff in the mind that triggers you, you can stop inventing that stuff in the mind. And you can see me right now, I'm going right down backwards through Petit to and each level that we get to, we can stop. 
That's the whole trip about the teaching of the Buddha. Dukkha, Dukkha, Naroda means Dukkha, stop Dukkha. It's a really amazing point that that's the whole teaching of the Buddha is just merely stop. I thank you so much for, for letting me collect those things together. This is amazing. This is really good. Well, I think that this is possibly a good time to stop. <laughs> 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 so does anybody have any comments? Marcus, stop. Uh, a wonderful I point. have stopped. You stop too. <laughs> That's a quote out of the sutta, by the way. <laughs> it is. I have stopped, Angulimala. You stopped. Too. Alright. Yeah, this was great. Thank Robert. you all so much. Yeah, Robert, I'm really glad to see you. I, I suppose that you're visiting your dad in France. I am, yes. And I'd, I'd love to call you um, uh, maybe tomorrow or later today or something if you're available. Uh, yeah, it's getting late in the day today. Why don't you give me a call tomorrow when you get up? Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> All right. So, Yasin has joined. Hi. You were just about to finish. I thought that it was, uh, I didn't look at the screen close enough, and now I see that Yasin, everybody say hi to Yasin. Oh, I. Uh, I've been here for 40 minutes, so I did get <laughs> a lot out of it. Hi, Yasin. Hi, Eric. Too are much you absorption. I don't even know who you are. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. My my battery is is getting low, and I was I was being triggered by mosquitoes, so I set up a fortress around myself and. <laughs> 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 and have stopped the triggers of mosquitoes. I'll jump mosquito. <laughs> right. Well, you, I, you look like you're scared. in a beautiful jungle there, in a Thai jungle, <laughs> somewhere around the house here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the back. Uh-huh. Ah, uh, okay. All right, guys. Well, we'll see you next time. This has been a great talk, but we'll stop now. Saru, saru, saru. Woo. See you, everybody. Goodbye, goodbye. See you guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.